0: Back here on Amber and Ian, Amber and Ian, both with you tonight. Shocking. I know Amber and Ian is presented to you by progressive (laughs) insurance. It is good to be back alongside Ian Fitzsimmons. Find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W sports, but boy was there controversy and it remained controversial all day today, all anybody is talking about half of a, a heck of an NFL weekend was the ending of that Kansas City Chiefs game. So let's bring in some help with the conversation. Dean Blandino, Fox Sports rules analyst, former vice president of NFL officiating. And Dean, thanks so much for your time. Let's just start with the controversy here an offsides penalty on Kadarius Tony. It cost the Kansas City Chiefs a touchdown, maybe cost them the game as well. Was it the right call?
1: It was the right call. Look, Tony was offside. The neutral zone is the length of the football. The only player on either team that can be over the ball is the snapper, the center. And, uh, and he's clearly, even on the live shot, you can see he's, he's actually blocking the view of the football. So it is a foul, and it's a situation I think you have a couple of factors. It's such an incredible play and uh, a play that we may never see again. And it gets called back on an offensive offside, which is not a foul that gets called very often. I think the last time the Chiefs were involved with an offensive offside was 2004. And I think I quote Kurt Andy Reid say that he's never had it in any, in any game that he's been a part of. So it's, it's not something that's as frequent as holding or an illegal formation, but it was a foul, and the officials see it; they, they have to call it regardless of the situation.
2: How important is it also, Dean, that he did not check with a down
1: judge? yeah that's part of it you you're always working the line of scrimmage officials are always working with the offensive players, especially the receivers to check here's the line of scrimmage I'm either on or off the ball just to make sure that they're aligned properly and that happens throughout the game. a lot of times if it's close, you'll get a warning early in the game in a situation where it's just blatant and it, it's not it's not close, then you've got to throw the flag. But on the officiating side of it, you got to be consistent, right? You can't let it go for three and a half quarters and then all of a sudden call it in the fourth quarter, or or call it one way early in the game and then and then not call it the same way later in the game. So you know, checking, I think there's the responsibility on the player to know where the, the neutral zone is and know where to properly line up, and and it's just one the offensive offside call you don't see as much, um, and uh, but it was a foul.
2: I got Dan Arlovsky went back and watched every single snap that Kadarius Tony was on the field yesterday. And he said he was offsides on every single one of them. And he never checked with either the line judge, or the down judge on any single one of them, but it wasn't called earlier. So you just mentioned, you know, how yeah. for three and a half quarters, right. Or, or even longer than that, it wasn't called, but it was on that particular play. Your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, and, they, and I haven't gone back and watched as Dan did, but here that, that's the thing. And I just mentioned consistency. Yep. So if that's true and we're, and they did not call it for three-plus quarters and then all of a sudden you call it at the end of the game, that's not right either. You, you set the bar, you set the, the, the standard during the game, and so the players know, okay, I've been okay all game. And uh, and so I shouldn't expect to get called late in the game. So if that's the case, I don't know if that's the case. I haven't watched uh, every snap. Um, you want that consistency.
0: Dean Blandino joining us. How much of it is dependent on the position. As I understand it, the linemen get told all the time, hey, you know, you're, you're too far into the neutral zone. You're going to need to creep back a little bit. But with somebody like a wide receiver, do they get told that less? Is it more unusual at that position maybe to be offsides or to be concerned with it? Yeah,
1: it, it is. It is. Typically, it's the tackles. And if you remember, we've kind of – think about where we started the season, Lions-Chiefs, and it was actually Juwan Taylor, the right tackle for the Chiefs, that was clearly off the ball, not on the line of scrimmage, and it wasn't called throughout the game. It was even highlighted on the broadcast. So typically it's more the tackles getting up on the line, talking to the player, talking to the coach. With the receivers, it's more just that interaction, that communication, a lot of the visual signals between the receiver and the official to make sure they're okay. Um, You don't normally see a, a, a verbal warning with a receiver. But again, it's just one of those things where you have to be consistent. One that was called, it was a foul. It just for the Chiefs, it took back, obviously, a a, a ridiculous play that would have been the go-ahead touchdown late in the game.
2: Dean, you're the former VP of NFL officiating, so this question is in your wheelhouse. Players are held accountable. Coaches are held accountable. How do we hold refs and, and officials publicly accountable?
1: That's the key you said publicly accountable because they are held accountable, but it's not public knowledge. They're evaluated on their their performance. Every game they get an evaluation report, every official, the calls they make, the calls they don't make, the calls they should have made, positioning mechanics, and that evaluation accumulates throughout the season. And if you don't grade out well, you don't get a postseason assignment. And if you don't grade out well over the course of several seasons, you could get let go. You could get let go after one poor season. So they are held accountable. We just don't publicize that. And uh, and I think that's a tough one because you do, you want for the credibility um, of the of the officials to know that they're held accountable because a lot of people just think, well, they show up, they work the game, they go do some other job. That couldn't be further from the truth, but I just don't know if enough people understand that. And uh, and like I said, that does that does kind of hurt the integrity of the, the officiating staff and the department when fans and, and people that watch the game don't don't know that. Former
0: vice president of NFL officiating Dean Blandino joining us here on Amber and Ian. Uh, the vast majority of NFL officials, Dean, still have other jobs. I think this year alone, we've got an engineer, we've got a firefighter, a teacher, a manager of a law firm, all sorts of jobs. Is it? a problem that in 2023 most NFL officials still have other jobs that they have to focus on and should they be full-time just with the NFL?
1: Yeah I mean it's interesting in in my time when I started in the mid-90s in in the officiating department the overwhelming majority of football officials in the NFL had a full-time job and they officiated on the side. Now with the way in in terms of the 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 compensation and the importance, the technology. Now, almost all of them have, have, they officiate and they have a job on the side and they do spend a lot of time during the week looking at film on Zoom calls, on conference calls. They do spend a ton of hours during the week. But like you said, if I'm dividing my time amongst two professions, am I giving both of them the the true, you know, my full self to that? So, I can't argue with that. Are there opportunities? Um, I think just calling them full-time, that's not the answer. You have to actually give them things to do. You have to get them on the same page, whether it's working together during the week or if there's a facility. But it's just hard. These officials live all over the country. It's not like baseball and basketball where they, they have to officiate multiple games a week. It's one game a week. And uh, But I do think anytime you can spend more you know more put, put in more work at your craft you're you're going to be better at
2: it one of the great things about working XFL games with you last year was the transparency especially with you in the in the replay booth you had a camera on you for every game and you were you were mic'd and it was transparent as to why you were or were not overturning a, a, a call Can, why doesn't the NFL do that because that was one of the best aspects of the XFL last year
1: I really feel like the NFL has to push toward more of that. I don't know if they'll they'll ever pull the curtain completely back. Why not? But when you I, I it I just think sometimes it's they've been doing it and I'm not saying I'm not this is a, a valid reason, but it's they've been doing it for so long, um, a certain way. There's a lot I think if the XFL was new, you don't have that built up, that fan base yet. Uh, you don't, and sometimes it's a little bit scary to sit there and say, we're going to just peel the curtain back and you're going to be able to hear everything because there's 17 different replay officials. There's a bunch of people in New York and I think the league is still guarded. And, and I'm not saying that I agree with that because I, I agree the XFL, when you can, it eliminates any, it doesn't eliminate all controversy, but it eliminates the conspiracy theories. It eliminates that. Oh, they're out to get this team or that team. You can listen and see what exactly goes into making a decision, even with the on-field officials, listening to them work through a call or multiple calls. It was the first time in my career, in my working with the XFL, where the narrative around officiating was positive, and that, that had never happened before.
0: Dean Blandino joining us here on Amber and Ian. Dean, I want to talk about the physical component of being an NFL official. Obviously, you are officiating the best athletes in the entire world. How hard is it from a physical perspective, just quite literally keeping up with these athletes in order to get the call right? And should there be some sort of physical test that these officials have to take every year? Is there some component to the job that's like that? How much do you think that factors into missed calls, if at all?
1: It's a big factor in terms of, like you said, the best athletes in the world, and you have to keep up. You have to be in position, and there is there is a physical test that the officials have to go through. They they have to make sure that they're prepared to start the season. When I first started in the mid nineties, the only physical requirement was that they had to walk a mile, just finish. I mean, it wasn't there wasn't what? even time. Wow! And, oh and so wow. yeah, it was like don't die, and you're you good. So. so now, now, you know, and this is something. When, when uh, back in 2013, when when I I was in charge of the officiating department, we really tried to put some some things in place to help our officials from from a physical standpoint. We we contracted with a third party group that works with professional athletes, that works with teams, former athletic trainers, and they came in and designed a program for the officials because it's different. The movements are different than player movements, but there are things that officials have to do. And then we gave, them, we gave them help with diets. We gave them help with rest and recovery and programs that they could use. And we really tried to look at, okay, that turnover as officials get deeper into their careers, um, they slow down. And, and so do you have good younger officials to come in? And, and to be ready to take over, there's no, there's no substitute for experience, but you also need that good combination of experience and also officials that can come in and that are going to be able to keep up with the play. So it's, it's definitely something that in the last 10, 10 years, 15 years, has been more of a point of emphasis. And it's, it's only, um, gonna, the importance is only going to grow because the athletes are getting faster, they're getting bigger, they're getting better, and the officials have to keep up.
2: Go so big picture and we'll, and we'll turn you loose. Dean Blandino, former VP of NFL officiating, now with Fox Sports, also the czar of the XFL when it comes to the replay booth, joining us here on Amber and Ian on ESPN Radio. This year it just seems like it's been a rough – one of the roughest years when it comes to missed calls. Just yesterday, the block in the back on the Ravens punt return in overtime that was missed to win the game and maybe not – I mean, St. Louis, good gosh. L.A., the Rams out of the playoff contention. I mean, you know, the Derek Carr intentional grounding the Justin Fields intentional grounding, the obvious calls that were missed. And obviously, Kadarius, Tony, which we've talked about a lot. What is it about this particular year that it seems to be much more common that obvious calls are being missed?
1: It does. It does feel different this year. And I've been through different iterations of this is the worst officiating ever. And then I'm I've seen that over the last 25 years where, where it comes up. It does feel like it, there's more of it. It feels like there's more talk about the officiating. There's more missed calls. I think part of that is just due to the increased scrutiny. Um, we are There's such a disconnect between how officials officiate the game live. They see it once, full speed. From their perspective, they have to make a call. And then we get to analyze and evaluate based on four or five different slow motion angles and things like that. I, d- I do feel that we're relying so much on technology for some things that officials should be getting right on the field, that the quality is at least in my opinion, is not where it needs to be. And, and I think it's more than just noise at this point. I think we are seeing a quality of officiating that isn't as good as where it needs to be. And I think it starts with the on-field And giving the officials good direction, consistent direction, and then utilizing technology, replay, those types of things to help get the the big calls right. Officials are going to make mistakes. Players make mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. But you can't have mistakes in critical situations. And if you can use replay to help there, but also make sure we get it right initially, I think that's the goal.
0: With a multi-billion dollar industry, it feels like there should be some answers here. We just have to find our way there. Dean Blandino, in the incredibly rare circumstance that you are watching ESPN, then you can check them out on Fox Sports. A rare circumstance. Thanks, Dean.
1: (laughs) Thanks, guys.
3: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple.
0: going to talk about Zach Wilson's remarkable performance yesterday here. Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons with you. However, there's something far more important to discuss. We might get to Zach Wilson on the back end.
2: We will. We will. This won't take long.
0: But we've discovered that Ian Fitzsimmons has failed as a father. His teenage daughters. I think I have. They, are, they are, are teenagers, so there's some semblance of independence, but he has failed as a father. This Monday Night Football Preview is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Monday Night Football Preview, you ask. What does this have to do with Monday Night Football? Well, Ian, you have failed.
2: That's what. Yeah, so for people who don't know, Amber does a show from her house uh, down in, in near uh, you know Fort Lauderdale, Sarasota, Florida, wherever the heck Yeah, Sarasota, right? Sarasota, yeah. Yep, there we go. And uh, I'm in Dallas, Texas, you know, in in this little studio in in my house. And so it's modern technology. It's beautiful. So, you know, right after, you know, Dean Blandino just joined us, former NFL VP of officiating, talking about all things that is insane going on around the National Football League when it comes to refs and officiating and horrible calls, I walked out during the break and just to say, hey, how's everybody How's practice, whatever. They're out there watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. (laughs) Over Monday Night Football. Now, look, I understand that the fat man's coming down the chimney in 13 days. Mm -hmm. Or 14 days. But it's Monday Night Football. And I understand Christmas Vacation is an all-time classic. My wife is more Clark Griswold than I am. I mean, she's the one that goes out and, and is the queen of outdoor illumination. But to be watching Christmas Vacation on Monday Night Football, a doubleheader of Monday Night Football, I do believe I have failed as a parent.
0: Yes and no. Because National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is a movie from 1989. I imagine that is long before either of your daughters were ever even a twinkle in your eye. So, in one hand... You have succeeded as a parent because your daughters are watching a classic from the 80s, right? So clearly something that they have been introduced to either by you or your oh, wife, yeah. and it's an excellent movie. So you've introduced there them go. to good movie taste. Harry so in that, respect, in that respect, you have done well as a parent. On the other hand, yes, you have failed because there is a Monday Night Football double header. There is nothing in this life more important than Monday Night Football. We know that in this country.
2: I, I just, I was shocked. I mean, I, I was in awe. Now look, my kids. I mean, they they watched Top Gun well before Maverick ever came out. I mean, they they can quote the damn entire movie. That's 1985. That's my, good parenting. My youngest Marin, when she was five, watched Jaws, and loves that it. Seems a little early, but <laughs> I mean, didn't phase her one bit. Which is also disturbing, parent. right? I mean, that's very disturbing. That's on her mom. Mm-hmm. But to walk out there and see. This great movie on while the Monday Night Football doubleheader is also on the TV. I'm going. i like I'm Patrick Mahomes right now, whining after a missed call. That's it. Done. And it wasn't a missed call. I I am I am the Chiefs, and they are the Bills. I guess I don't know. Or I mean, because <laughs> I, I think that I I I have failed. I've lost. There you go.
0: Uh, but the call was right. It was, in fact, the right I call.
2: Yeah, see, well, oh, without, without a doubt.
0: I, my kid is still a little young. He's only four. But every time that he wants to change the channel from football to a cartoon, I'm trying to teach him. Like, no. You know, like, no, you're watching this. You're watching this. I have, I have spent my whole life dreaming of having a son to watch football with, kid. Sit down and watch this thing, and he's like, "But mommy, it doesn't." They have love ball.
2: and <laughs> on Saturday night, my youngest was wearing a Jaden for Heisman T-shirt, you know, because she's a diehard mm-hmm. LSU football fan. I mean, Rowan absolutely adores the New Orleans Saints. Marin still follows Matthew Stafford because in her formidable years, my, her uncle Devin was coaching with the Detroit Lions, and she's still a Lions fan. Hence, I was shocked when I went out there and saw Clark Griswold putting up the lights on the stinking house, stunned, shocked.
0: (laughs) Well, every once in a while, you have to take a break, I guess, for some Christmas cheer. But I'm guessing that they'll come back to their football groups at some point. Uh, Football was life for me when I was a teenager. That's for darn sure. My kid fell asleep last night during Cowboys Eagles in my bed. Coming up next, how concerned should we be about those Philadelphia Eagles after the last couple weeks?
3: Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
0: The Dallas Cowboys got the best of the Philadelphia Eagles last night. And frankly, it it wasn't even very close. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. The song still slaps. Uh, So Cowboys (laughs) Eagles last night. It does. I I can't. I was having a hard time doing that read during it because I just want to start singing it. (laughs) So. The Cowboys beat the Eagles 33-13. The Eagles have gotten demolished now two weeks in a row by two very good teams, by the 49ers and by the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys lead the NFC East tiebreaker right now. The Eagles, the Cowboys, they have the same record. However, if the Eagles win out and they have the easiest remaining schedule left in the NFL, if the Eagles win out, they will end up winning the division. So it's still possible that the Eagles win the division, Ian, But it's not possible at this point that the Eagles win the narrative because I think from what we saw last night, a lot of people finally, I've been screaming it all season long, but a lot of people are finally realizing that there are cracks in the foundation of this Philadelphia team and that this Dallas team, yes, we need to see them do it in a postseason, but this Dallas team for real.
2: Uh, and I will touch on that in one moment. But quick update, Monday Night Football. Connor Williams starting center for the Miami Dolphins. Amber's Miami Dolphins got his left knee rolled up on. Uh, so he went into the injury tent. Liam Eichenberg comes in. Miami drives down deep into Tennessee territory, right around the five-yard line. And then a, a bad exchange from the backup center Eichenberg to Tua Tungabaloa leads to a fumble recovered by the Titans first and Thirteen now after a looks like an offsides penalty uh, for Tennessee, so half the distance back to the goal. First and thirteen, Titans have the ball. Big, 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 big miscue for the Miami Dolphins. Zero zero
0: offensive offsides penalty. Oh my God! I thought <laughs> I thought those only got called against Kansas City. Crazy, James. That's what that's Crazy. what I
5: that's what I've seen. I just see the Chiefs getting, uh-huh. uh, you know. Screwed by calls uh, uh, all the time now. With Con-
2: Connor Williams out, that's uh, something to keep an eye on with Eichenberg and, and Tua Tungabaloa with the Miami Dolphins. Now, to the Cowboys. Uh, where Connor Williams came from, second-round draft pick out of Texas uh, to the Cowboys, and then, obviously, the Fish picked him up in free agency. Uh, this is a team I agree with you. I still have to see it when that stage is grandest. But, man, last night, uh, that, was, that was very impressive, just the way they absolutely manhandled them. Now, we'll touch on the Philly side in a moment, but... Dak Prescott is playing at a level right now that we haven't seen since maybe his first two years. I mean, he, he he's just seeing the field so well. Uh, 24-39 of last night, 271 yards. By the way, he had three drops. So th- so factor that in as well. Two touchdowns, no INTs. And he spread it around to, good gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine different receivers. Nine guys uh, were throwing the ball, uh, six at, at catches. I mean, it was it was impressive, and they ran the ball for 138 yards, averaging over four yards a carry. That's just on the offensive side. That defensive side, we know they're hunting. And, man, Stephon Gilmore, Steffi is just – what he did last night to A.J. Brown, Amber, was just beyond impressive. He, and they were jawing the entire time, and Gilmore, 12 years into the league, is still getting it done, not just as an elite cover corner, but as an elite physical Cover corner against a dude that size that was a complete cowboy win it was it was extraordinarily impressive
0: it was over by halftime the cowboys were leading something like twenty four to six at the half and they never relinquished the lead. Uh, the Eagles failed to score an offensive touchdown. They fumbled the ball three times one by the way. From Jalen Hurts, two others from A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Jalen finished 18 of 27 for 197 yards. He was held out of the end zone. The Eagles' running backs had 18 carries for 77 yards, while Brown and Smith combined for 14 catches, 167 yards. But of course, those fumbles, those costly fumbles as well. It was a bad day for Philadelphia. And it's been a bad couple of weeks for Philadelphia. And I, I'm not. I'm not one to really have this conversation because it, it, it makes me too happy, you know, to be right, Ian. But the reason that Are I thought...
2: You, no, I've never met a human being more in my, in my life, my entire lifetime of 51 years on this earth that loves to be and wants to be right more than you, my my dear. I mean, I, it, it, I is, know. it is I, remarkable. It's my favorite
0: thing. It's my favorite thing. And, and in this circumstance, uh, I ended up being right. But the reason for it is because I thought that the Eagles were going to have to take some sort of step back with losing both coordinators. And frankly, I think that we've seen some of that, right? The offense the last couple weeks certainly hasn't looked quite the same. Jalen's numbers aren't the same as they were last season. Now, given there's still a lot of football to be played, they've won a heck of a lot of games this season, and they're in prime position still here to try to head into a postseason and make a postseason run. So all of this could change. But it was also how many starters they lost on defense alone. And and already that defense, there was a lot of Eagles fans even upset with the defensive performance in the darn Super Bowl. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, when you're losing your D coordinator because he gets a head coaching job. And that defense has not looked great for Philadelphia. That pass rush was not there against the Cowboys, a pass rush that we hear so much about. So there's cracks in the foundation for the Eagles that, frankly, I think you could have seen coming. The margin of victory has been very small for Philadelphia this, ta- this season, even though they found themselves in the win-loss column far more often in the win side of things. But it's been small, right? In some of these games, it just felt like everything broke their way. And so that's not going to happen against the best teams in the NFL. The 49ers, the Cowboys, certainly a couple of the best teams in the NFC. Frankly, they look like a couple of best teams in the entire NFL. So Philadelphia is still in a great position. But I do think last night showed a glaring light on, hey, there's legit problems here with this Philadelphia team, and they're going to need to get it together before they try to make a postseason run.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to jump off and, and say that, that Philly is just cooked as Christmas dinner um, because in this five-game stretch, and we all talked about this particular stretch before the season began where you're know you going to have to play Dallas at home, then it's K- at Kansas City, Buffalo, San Fran, and then go to Dallas. And then – go to Seattle. But let's just go and take Seattle out of it, which they go to Monday Night Football next week. Let's just go with a five-game stretch. And Harry Black, you, you played on the offensive line in the Big Ten at Illinois. You are an Eagles fan. If I would have told you, and I think we had this conversation before the season began, Harry Black, our associate producer tonight, if I would have told you that your beloved Eagles would go 3 and 2 over that stretch. Would you have taken it?
3: I would have taken it 9 to uh, 10 times out of 10 because I've been talking with my brother, I've been talking with my dad about this all season and even the week before this stretch started. This is where the season begins. The fact that we were able to backload so many wins beforehand was, you know, that was great, but I was looking at this season at the beginning of the year thinking they're going to win 11 games and they might even have a better team you know, this season coming in. And now I don't think that's the case, but I thought they could have a better team and win less games because of this stretch right now. And I think three games out of these five, I mean, have they looked good the last two weeks? No, they haven't looked no. good the last two weeks, but it's a long season, stuff happens. And yeah, you, you take three out of these
2: five, 10 times out of 10. I, I agree. I, I, if you did t- And I, I talked about that you know, before the season began. If you go three and two in that stretch, you take it right now. So I, Harry, I agree with you. But having said that, the way they've looked the last two weeks, that is where the story really lies because the offensive line is not protecting Jalen Hurts nearly as well as we have seen it in the past. And the defense really isn't playing very well also. They've, they're yeah, missing I, guys like N'Kobe Dean right now with that Liz Frank injury uh, to his foot. So the defense isn't nearly as... They're not, get, like, they're not getting to the quarterback as, as, as much as they did last year. And the offensive line isn't protecting... Hurts nearly as much as they did last year also. Or the beginning of the season. So, do they have time to clean that up? Absolutely they do. But right now, I mean, you take three and two over that five-game stretch, but the way they've looked in getting blown out to the tune of 75 to 32 in the last two weeks, that ain't good.
0: I thought they were going to get exposed during that five-game stretch that you just referenced. I mean, when I was looking at the schedule – before the season started and I had this theory about Philadelphia taking a small, like a small step back, nothing crazy. I thought they were going to finish second in the division, but I just thought they were going to finish second in the division to Dallas. And one of the reasons for that is this five game stretch. I thought, okay, they're going to have it a little bit easy in the beginning. And then they're going to run into this buzzsaw here. And frankly, they didn't run into the buzzsaw. Ex- nearly like I expected them to until the last two weeks. So yes, they survived it. I understand as an Eagles fan why Harry would feel encouraged by that when you're able to get out of that stretch in the way that they've been able to get out of that stretch on the right side of the win-loss column. Their remaining schedule also, you've got to feel good about it if you're an Eagles fan. They've got Seahawks, Giants, Cardinals, Giants once again. Again, if they win out, they end up sitting pretty in the division and that's certainly a schedule that they can in fact win out. So they're not dead in the water by any means. Dallas, on the other hand, has a very tough remaining schedule because they have to face Buffalo, then they have to be in Miami facing this Dolphins team that's playing right now on Monday night football. They take on the Detroit Lions and they face the Commanders to end the season. It's not going to be easy sledding for Dallas. DeMarcus Lawrence. He plays for Dallas. He is a D end, and boy was he happy though after that game last night and what they did to the Philadelphia Eagles.
4: Could've- in the face over and over and over
2: and over again until they quit and when they quit hit them again and again and again and again it's, it's just, that, i'm glad it's we played that, the bleep version
0: <laughs> oh thank goodness uh, a little food this morning on sports center a little bit uh yes we got the bleep version in there uh so shout out to james and harry for playing the right version but uh it's not you know, hit him in the face and then hit him in the face. again. And this is like a very tough, physical Cowboys team. They out the Eagles last season. And that's something that everyone kept saying about the Eagles last season and the Eagles in the postseason. And it's been one of those things that people want to see more of from Dallas. You're actually seeing that from Dallas this year.
2: Yeah, I got a phone call from a, from a good friend of mine who happens to wager a bit. And he mm-hmm. was asking me, why in the hell are the Eagles still minus 250? To win the NFC East, when we just watched them get absolutely boat raced and chicken kicked by the Dallas Cowboys, I uh, simply schedule. that was it. The, the, what you just referenced. I mean, you look at the remaining teams that Philly has to play versus the Cowboys. That it's a very simple answer. I mean, the Cowboys have one of, if not the toughest remaining schedule. Uh, during the Dash for Cash, which we are in right now. And if you don't know what that is, folks, Bill Polian, the Hall of Famer, famously told us this years ago, when you see crazy numbers out there, like the Arizona Cardinals favored over, let me just throw some team out there, the Baltimore Ravens, right? Why is that? It's the holiday season, crazy things happen, and the Dash for Cash. But when you have a slate like Philly does, at Seattle, ain't going to be easy with the 12s, and then New York at home, Arizona at home, and then at New York versus what the Cowboys have that you just referenced. Mm-hmm. That is a simple explanation as to why the Eagles are still favored to win the division. Now, Monday Night Football Update Your fish, mm-hmm. fat man touchdown, mm-hmm. pick six, Will Levis, gifted Mr. Zealer, big 92, right in his big belly. Hitting between nine and two. That's a touchdown. Dolphins lead seven zip. And the New York Giants just missed a field goal. 0 0 Green Bay and the Agantes.
0: Both those games still in the first quarter. Roughly five minutes left in the first in each of those. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we'll find out what is a big deal and what's not a big deal. The midst of a doubleheader on Monday Night Football here on Amber and Ian. Ian Fitzsimmons, Amber Wilson hanging out with you. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. Amber and Ian is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. So in the Dolphins game a couple of plays ago, Tyreek Hill, his ankle got rolled up on as he went out of bounds, Ian, on a play where he, well, it looked like he lost yardage, uh, frankly, on the play. His ankle gets rolled up on. He tries to get up at one point. Goes back down. So it seems bad but then he does eventually get pulled up and then he starts like sprinting off the field and he's incredibly angry he's standing on the sidelines right now. I guess he's okay. This is, I mean, the second it happened as a Dolphins fan, I'm like, Oh, of course, of course the guy who is having an MVP season on base on pace to break 2000 yards for the first time in NFL history, because he's in a Dolphins uniform. I'm like, of course, this is when this would happen because I'm so used to the Miami Dolphins not being able to have nice things.
2: Well, he- when he came off right before he did that sprint off the field uh and grimacing and had this angry, you know, looking, you know, tone to his face um, like just almost screaming as this barbaric yell as he sprinted off the field on that, on that twisted up ankle. He did give a, a, he saw Mike McDonald, head coach of Miami, look over at him and ask him, Hey man, you good? And he gave him a thumbs up and you could read his lips going, no, I'll be good. I'll be good. And then sprinted off the field, not back in yet. We'll keep an eye on it, but to your point, um, I expect to see him back personally, Amber. The, you, you can't sprint off the feet. The adrenaline's going tomorrow. It's going to hurt, but I, I would I would be surprised if he's not back in this game.
0: It's like he's trying to will himself into it. Yeah. He's on the sidelines. He still kind of looks like he's grimacing. Like he keeps like he's kind of moving back and forth, putting weight on the ankle and taking it off. I mean, I'm guessing that it's sprained and that he just wants to play through it, uh, but. with the speed that Tyreek Hill has with how important he is right now, at least the dolphins being a bit cautious. They don't seem like they're putting him back in right now. Uh, Just a few seconds left in the first quarter. Dolphins up seven zip on the Titans. Has anything exciting happened in giants Packers
2: Uh, right now? Green Bay is driving a buck 38 to go in the first quarter. Zero, zero. The giants have missed a field goal, um, but right now green Bay deep in giants territory.
0: We will continue to keep you updated on this Monday Night Football header. But right now, let's find out what's a big deal and what's not a big deal.
2: It's making headlines. Extra, extra, read all about it. But is it a big deal or not
5: a big deal? With Amber and Ian.
0: And with our producer, James Steele. Hello, James.
5: Hey, how's everyone doing today? Um, You, You know,
0: right when we went into this segment, I heard you say, you know, like, darn it as we went and i thought you were saying it because tyreek hill ended up sprinting off the field i thought you were like wishing injury on tyreek hill for a moment oh, there because oh, of your Amber, because of your irrational hate because you're so bitter today as a kansas city chiefs fan that you just can't handle your emotions anymore so you're wishing ill on one of the former chiefs why would i do that wow I, that's what you
2: think that's, of
5: me. That's dark.
0: I thought you were being. I thought you were being the ultimate hater. But I'm I not. think you were just saying, "Darn it," because you weren't. You were ready for us to come back and go to big deal, not a big deal. I don't
5: yeah, know. Yeah, I just kind of forgot that we were doing this here because <laughs> oh, I was well, doing other things. Uh, By the way, that's a Green Bay touchdown. Reed jet
2: sweep, one carry, sixteen yards, one touchdown, field goal. at extra, extra point is good. And Green Bay lead seven. it. Back to you.
5: All right. You so over the weekend, uh, we saw that Shohei Otani, uh signed a ten-year. $700 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Today we learned from Jeff Passan on Twitter, Shohei Otani's $700 million contract calls for him to be paid only $2 million a year for the next 10 seasons, with $680 million deferred until the end of the deal. Sources confirmed to ESPN. The CBT hit on the contract is going to be around $46 million, a huge discount for L.A. Uh, Amber the Shohei Otani signing, and then all of this uh, contract magic. Big deal, not a big deal.
0: I mean, yeah, obviously, this is this is a huge deal. $700 million feels like a huge deal always, full stop, no matter who it is to. And under what circumstances, $700 million, in my book anyways, is a huge deal. Maybe not in Bezos' book, but in my book, that's always a huge deal. You couple that with the fact that he is deferring $68 million of his $70 million annual salary every single year. He's only going to take a couple mil home? Uh, Ian, I, I mean, it- Stephen A. Smith probably makes more than that. <laughs> and this is Shohei Otani in baseball, right? I-, I-, I know to the rest of us, $2 million sounds like a whole lot of money. But in that world, only making $2 million a year? It doesn't probably sound like much money. So, I mean, I applaud him. This is like ultimate team guy doing this. Yes, that also seems like a very big deal. He's a better person than me. I would have at least gone for, you know, like $10 million or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, a big deal is a ditch. This is the Grand Canyon right? because you're talking the largest contract in the history of this continent in professional sports. And he's going to defer six eighty. Bobby Bonilla right now is going, damn. And Bobby Bonilla, by the way, is going to be paid for another 10 years. That's the greatest contract in professional sports. And Shohei Otani hiked his leg on that thing like a dog on a fire hydrant. Remarkable. And, and he, he did it, by the way. People are wondering, why he do it? To give the Dodgers flexibility to be able to spend elsewhere.
0: The nerd in me is wondering if he's deferring that much money is he getting... I mean, I guess he wouldn't be, right? Like, is he getting that oh, with get inflation? Is there yeah. an adjusted of inflation? for? Because he's getting $700 million essentially, by 2023 standards. So then when you're deferring it over a decade down the road, it's Who not more, the same. Who cares? And a de- de- this is the nerd in
2: me. I mean, it's like, give him $10 million a year for 30 years or whatever, 60, whatever it is. I mean, my God. Again, Bobby Bonilla is sitting there going, wow, man, that's impressive. I mean, that's... That's just next level. Can I just imagine having so much? Ten years?
0: Well, it's like so much. You would just have so much. I have more here. I have more. (laughs) Well, like you just have so much money that you're like, oh no, you know, I can, yeah, I can wait to get that six hundred and eighty. Like I'm good. I'm good.
5: All right. Quickly. uh, Also, over the weekend, the Los Angeles Lakers won the first ever NBA in season tournament, uh, and they're gonna hang a banner uh, at. What's it called now? It's not Staples Center anymore. Yeah, whatever it is. They're, uh, we know what you're the former, about. formerly yeah.
0: the Forum. <laughs> <laughs> formerly known as. Oh gosh, that's not nice of the sponsor. Yes, James, this is a big deal. There you go. It's a big deal because Adam Silver needed LeBron to go all in and buy all in on this thing, and boy did he. He did the NBA huge solid here in getting this thing to matter immediately off the bat it is a great thing for the NBA that it was that team led by that guy who won this thing and that they bought all in to care because it means that this thing immediately matters the
2: last part is why it's a big deal because they all bought in and I guess what it was entertaining I truly enjoyed it
1: crypto
5: yeah it was
0: entertaining it It was a great it was a great uh, it was it was a great thing it ended up really working so kudos to the NBA for that kudos to us plenty more here on ESPN radio